Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A goal-filled morning of World Cup action means we need to get right into it with the Gegenpod. Former Socceroos Scott McDonald, former Premier League star Michael Bridges and Socceroos icon Mark Schwarzer on the ground in Qatar to talk about it all. We'll debate the Australian connection to one of the most contentious refereeing decisions of the tournament and talk about the breakout star who might be about to command a mammoth transfer fee. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. This is the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Let's get in to the Pod. Yes, it was another action-packed day at the World Cup. So many goals to talk about as well, which is a welcome upturn. And the man who said it was coming after match day one, was Michael Bridges. Bridgie, great to have you back on the Gagan Pod. Great to be here, and what a four matches we witnessed today. I'm absolutely buzzing. It was just electric and so entertaining. And former Socceroo Scott McDonald is back with us on the Gagan Pod as well. And Scott, we'll start with Portugal against Uruguay. What were your initial thoughts on this one as Portugal got a 2-0 win? Yeah, look, um, <clears throat> I think Portugal, you know, particularly the start, were very, very good. Um, one thing I'll have to ask Bridgie as well, would you acclaim that goal? All day long, mate, I'm claiming that. That would have skimmed my... I would have just said it came off one of my little bristle pads here, mate. You know that. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'll tell you what, if you were looking for nine World Cup goals, I'd certainly be uh, be claiming it as well. Um, but look, Portugal got the job done uh, in terms of what you have to say. Look, we look at Cavani and, and, and we look at Suarez... However, there's some real good talent within that Uruguayan squad, Valverde, and obviously Nunes, who's at Liverpool. Um, it's it's ever-changing for them, and it's probably that sort of middle-of-the-road time for them uh, where they have to rebuild and, and go again for the next World Cup. Uh, a disappointing campaign for them, but Portugal professionals ever getting the job done. Now two wins from two, and, and really looking good. Really looking good for the next phases of the, the tournament itself. So um, could we, just could we get that final that uh, everyone is sort of wanting um, the two best players in the world. Possibly. We'll see. Bridgie, when we look at Uruguay, they are one of only two teams not to have scored in this tournament so far. The other one is Tunisia. Uh, For all the attacking firepower Uruguay have got, they still had 11 total shots. They actually had XG more or less the same as Portugal. Their open play XG was actually higher than Portugal. Is this a case of their attackers just not getting the job done, or is it the way the team plays, which is why they haven't found the back of the net yet? It's the way the team sets up. It all it always is. They're such a good defensive unit. They never go and smash teams by a lot of goals. They're always hanging in there. And it wasn't until, you know, it was it, they were defensively so good and they were organised. Benton Kerr had an unbelievable chance when he went on a mazy run through through the middle. Um, and he should have scored, to be fair, the little dink or side. And, it, you know, he went try to go for the nutmegs and it it hit the um, goalkeeper in the, the parts that we, we don't like to mention. But he saved the ball and it should have been a goal. So they've got themselves to blame in that regard, but with the firepower they've got, they don't play to that. And it wasn't until they went 1-0 down 
that all of a sudden they've got to come out and they've got to try and get a result. And they were creating chances after chances. Numbers were getting forward. And it was the, you know, they were really impacting Portugal's resolve um, at the back. And you leave yourself a little bit open. And obviously they copped a, a second goal from a penalty, which I, I don't think was a penalty, to be fair. Um, do you I know? It was a shocking I it's it's a shocking decision. Shocking. Well, it hits his hand. It stops it stops the momentum of the ball going to the other side. He's actually going to get not, to the other side of him. Scotty, that's not deliberate. Man, he's trying to make a challenge. I know he's got the nutmeg. Not deliberate, but, yeah. but oh, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's deliberate. Sorry about that bang, by the way. But don't like, get that, don't get so aggressive on the air, mate. It's no, not. This, I don't is, this, fight, is, yeah. this is a slam the desk <clears throat> debate here. So, yeah, no, if, you're, if, if you're if Bridgie, but Bridgie, if that's you, the attacker, say that's you, and you've knocked it past that defender, and it's hit his hand. You're wanting that penalty all day long. Don't tell me you're not, because he's actually stopped you from having a goal-scoring opportunity. Agree in that regard. I would be saying yes, but when you when I look, where do you put your hand as a defender? Where the hell do you put your hand in that that instance? You're making a slide tackle. The ball, your hand's gone down down behind. I, I just I, I disagree with it. Sorry, mate. As if it was me, you know, and I was um, Bruno, I would have wanted it. But but you know what? It's an interesting one because we, there's so much grey area with the handball. And again, this is another argument within that. But but I look at that from it has to be the advantage to the attacker in all cases for me there's a lot of times where it's not where it hits the hand of the guy inside the box if you're an attacker and it's definitely a handball you know and then you don't get the goal if you've scored the goal so it has to work on Scotty I've got a, I've got a the strikers union yeah normally I'd go with you but I kind of I, I disagree no I, I still don't think it was and this is where you say like it, it's so open to interpretation this handball rule I don't understand it so you don't understand it the players don't understand mm. it so it'd be nice you know if somebody what I what I wish would come out of this is that we could I was sitting here my wife was watching the game as well she was like I wish we could hear what the actual discussion is between the VAR and the referees and people in the stadium people that are viewing the game mm. we get a sense of why that was given it's, I'm still you know I'm, I'm still baffled by it but anyway it, it wasn't to be Portugal scored the goal and um, yeah, like Uruguay I just thought they were the 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 two defensive minded when they've got that kind of talent up top when I think they can go and win games I think it's the mentality of the Uruguayan way though <clears throat> Bridgie they've always been that way they've always been resolute difficult to play against physical sometimes a lot of gamesmanship within them they like that character that's their character that's their DNA and I think that's the way that they build upon particularly in South American football they aren't the glitz and the glamour of the Argentina or the or the Brazil itself that that's the way that they've grown up and I think that's just the way as a as a nation that they they like to play their football and what's expected of them from their nation as well yes everyone wants to play pretty football however when they get to these competitions they've had some real success in doing what they have done in previous tournaments however they just haven't took their chances like we talked about. And that's, Theo, you talk about XG. Well, that, there you go. That just proves that that needs to go in the bin for me. I, I, I'm not a fan of this XG stuff. I, I'm on one this morning, but... Like, I'm with XG you on that one, what? mate. I think it's I mean, absolutely they didn't score. BS. They didn't score. Why are we yeah. talking? I hear commentators call XG, XG, XG all the bloody time. Stop it. It doesn't mean anything. If the guy's six yards out and he can't plant one in there, then it doesn't matter about XG. It's all about the player in front of the goal. Stop it, please. Scott McDonald's found an extra 20 years this morning, I reckon. So, guys, <laughs> as we try to settle this debate about the penalty, I've sent you both a screenshot that's been circulating on Twitter. Funnily enough, um, Australian referees Sean Evans and Anton Shetanin were the assistant VARs for this. So we had two Australian referees 
in the VAR booth, we also had Ali Reza Fagani, who is an uh, Australian-based referee. Uh, it was the central referee for this game. So we've got strong connections to Australia out of this very match. But I've sent you a graphic from the IFAB manual, which shows uh, the IFAB's own definition of what is and isn't a handball, including that it's not an offence if the ball makes contact with a hand or arm, a hand or arm that is supporting the body, which appears to be what was happening today. Now, with that said, I actually think it was a penalty. I don't necessarily think the rule is the greatest rule. But Bridgie, I suspect this means that uh, you might be spot on here because to the letter of the law, it looks like you're correct. Uh, I'll tell you what, thank you so much for the clarity around that, mate, and to give me the bragging rights over Scotty Mack. He's still going to come back and have an argument. But yeah, I thought it was a dodgy decision. And it doesn't sit well knowing that there was a couple of Australians in charge of it, neither. Oh, no, not another one. Uh, hey, mate, when have you ever played by the rules? Come on, behave. <laughs> hey? N- never, but just Look, have a bit of humble pie. Come on, just say, <laughs> all right. Look, the reality is always should be a varnish to the attacker. It's like saying you have a shot, it's on target, it hits the hand, and oh, he didn't mean it. But it's stopping a goal-scoring opportunity. I've always been a fan of, if I, if I have a strike and it hits someone on the arm, and it's on its way on the target, and he's made his body bigger by doing so. It should be a, it should be a handball all day long. He's made his you're body not bigger. Listening. We've just discussed the rules of the he game. Should, it's just going to be hey. like Sunus and Roy Keane on Blooming <laughs> on the Gagan party. Here. Just listen. What, listen to what I'm saying. It was a shocking decision. That Uruguayan defender should have just stayed on his feet. That's all he should have done, Bridgie. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> then we wouldn't have this argument. We, we, we will leave that there for now, but a fantastic debate nonetheless, which I'm sure is being replicated in, in many languages around the world. Let's talk about Portugal. All the Portuguese media coming in were very worried that if they didn't win this group, they could get Brazil in the round of 16. All they need to do to guarantee that doesn't happen is they get a draw against South Korea in the final game and hope that Brazil get a draw and top their group uh, by playing Cameroon in the final round. So how far can Portugal actually go? Scotty, have you been convinced by them? And now that they do avoid Brazil in the first knockout round, would you fancy their chances against Switzerland, Cameroon or Serbia in that next stage? Look, I think they can go far. Um, it's a bit like when they won the Euros. It's They're not very fancy. They're not amazing to watch. They're quite sticky in terms of how they play, um, they have got attacking intent. If you look at that team, that squad, particularly attacking-wise, you know, you've got João Felix, Rafael Leal coming off the bench, Ronaldo, obviously, Bruno Fernandes, and then you've got Cancelo, obviously, roaming down the, the, the wings as well. Um, you know, Pepe's still playing somehow. For, for I don't know what age he is now. It's unbelievable. 39. Ruben Diaz is... Uh, yeah, well, he's not that old then, because I'm 39. So, <laughs> But... Um, you know, like, and then you've got obviously Ruben Diaz next to him. Look, I, I think they've got a wonderful team, a wonderful squad, um, and I do fancy them in the, certainly in the round of sixteen um, to get past that if they do finish top of the group. Yeah, I think you've, they've shown that they're hard to break down, and they've got the firepower when regarded. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't enjoy watching Portugal as I do other teams, but. They know how to play tournament football and they know how to get results. And that test today was a huge test and they managed it and they managed it with a little bit of ease, I would say, to be honest with you, um, the way they did it. And like you say, being able to bring a 39-year-old on who didn't play the first game in Pepe and he just, they didn't test him at all. He looked so comfortable at the back. They didn't try and run him in behind many times. They controlled the game. So that shows that they're happy to make changes um, in 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 a squad that is quality, so I, I think they'll they'll do very very well. Yeah, 
Well, as things stand, uh, there could be Switzerland and then there could be maybe Croatia or Germany. So their, their run will be very difficult, Portugal, if they are to go on a long run into this tournament. Let's check in in Qatar with Mark Schwarzer now. And Schwarzy, how do Portugal compare to the tournament favourites like Brazil? And do they have the squad to go all the way? I think if you want to compare Portugal and Brazil... Um, there's some good comparisons um, up front. You're looking at attack Bruno Fernandes, Cristiano Ronaldo, Joel Felix. Uh, certainly, all three of those plays, there are question marks over their form coming into this World Cup domestically for their own clubs. Ronaldo, we all know. Joel Felix has been on the outer at uh, Atletico Madrid, and Bruno Fernandes certainly hasn't reached the levels um, that we've seen from him. Certainly, when he first arrived at the club, he was phenomenal. But they've still got a lot, a lot of attack. Bernardo Silva, Ruben Neves, phenomenal players as well. In defence, Pepe, uh, Ruben Diaz. Ruben Diaz, I think, is a very, very good defender. Joel Cancelo, one of the best um, defenders, certainly wide players um, in the Premier League and has been for the last at least season, if not season and a half. Pepe, obviously, is at the back end of his career and he's 39 years old. The question mark will be about his retention of fitness, recovery and is he able to still influence and be a top-class defender as he once was? Of course not. Age is, on your, is against you. However, as long as he's still playing, as long as he's doing well, as long as he's not being found out, then why not? And I think if Portugal keep being successful, still getting the results, make it through to the knockout stages, it's very difficult to, to say otherwise. You know, if they win tonight against, against Uruguay, it's two from two. <clears throat> and... I think it's at the moment then job done. They're through the knockout stages and they start again come the knockout stages. Then we'll see when they come up against top, top opposition. This is then when it comes to the knockout stages, anything's possible. Um, Portugal have the individual brilliance in their side to win games. Cristiano Ronaldo is the greatest example of that. Thanks to Mark Schwarzer there, who's on the ground for us on the Pod over in Qatar. Let's move on to the first game of the day. There'd been a lot of talk about how the early games hadn't produced many goals, especially in the first half. Well, the the last time we got to see the very Australian-friendly 9pm kickoff, it gave us one of the great games of the World Cup. Michael Bridges, Cameroon 3, Serbia 3, a real roller coaster of a game. How did that one leave you feeling? This was magnificent. I was actually tucking into my cornflakes with milk this morning. It was 10 a.m. start here, and I was just absolutely loving it because the the game itself, Serbia, were absolutely magnificent to to watch in uh, the way they, they controlled and dominated the game. And then Cameroon just said, you know what it is? We're going to bring on um, Ubabak, uh, Ubabaka. Is that, that, the, is that him, Ubabaka? Ubabaka. Yeah, v- v- thank you. Yep. That's the one. That's the guy. Mate, he was absolutely outstanding. And we talk about decisions that we don't like with VR and the, the, the penalty discussion that we had. Th- this guy looked a million miles offside for both goals. And yet the, the VAR came into play, the new system that they're using for the offside. And he, his, his movement was absolutely tremendous. And they got themselves back in the game and could have gone on to win it and totally just transformed again from a defensive unit team through caution the wind went forward and the, the scenes the celebrations the scenes in the in the crowd were magnificent and to see to see Mitrovic you know upset they were absolutely fuming because they knew they let that game slip so it's um i think this group is st- I, I can't pick who's going to go through um because the the two teams have both got something completely different to offer and I mean that with the defensive unit of Cameroon plus the counter-attack and the way Serbia just suffocated them and played some beautiful football. 
Yeah, look, um, for me, Serbia will be absolutely kicking themselves, particularly you, you talked about Mitrovic there, uh, Bridgie, uh, at the end of the game, obviously upset. Uh, rightly so, I think, uh, you know, when you get as many glorious chances as what he had in that game, you know, he would have expected to have scored a lot more, particularly the form that he's found himself in in the, in the Premier League itself. Uh, but you've got to give Cameroon full credit, obviously the manager of Cameroon as well, making the change, Bubakar, you know, coming on and being electric and, and being the difference for them. Obviously, Chuba Moteng getting his goal as well, who's looked impressive at times, I think, uh, for Cameroon. A little bit, probably, from what I've seen in terms of the two games, not really a team player, though. He's sort of played for individually, from what I've seen, looking to try and do what he can for himself, which is, is kind of interesting. There, there seems to be a little bit of... You know, arguments going on within the, the team itself every time you see a decision or, or he's doing something that there's, there's a couple of other players unhappy. So it's interesting to see what the uh, the balance in the camp would be there. Um, look, they've got a tough ask to, to play Brazil next. Um, I can't really see them going through. Um, but this, obviously, Serbia-Switzerland game is going to be a very interesting one um, to see who actually goes through in that one. Does Serbia have any excuse for blowing that 3-1 lead, Scotty? Because they were in total control of the game and their high defensive line, uh, Bridgie mentions how razor-thin those offside calls were, but I, I think just the, the, stock, the stock camera angle, Bridgie, was a bit misleading because when they had the exact side on camera, even the third goal, the Cameroonian attacker was just a mile on side. It was just a brilliant run in the end, but maybe it seemed a little bit deceiving on first watch. But what excuse, if any, does Serbia have for blowing such a good advantage in this game? They have none whatsoever. You know, we talked about. I just talked about there in terms of they could have killed that game off. They were, you would have thought they had of it three one as well, um, but they could have been well and truly home and host uh, early on in the game as well. Did well to come back from one nil down, and and you would fully expect them to hold out. Uh, however, you know that that high line came at a costly price in the end for them, and uh, you know gave up two points in the end. I, I believe it was. I think it was a bit of naivety as well when you're controlling a game like they were. And you you know that they're bringing Cameroon are bringing on some fast players where you're vulnerable in behind. There's no need to play that high line when you're three one up. You can actually drop off and give yourself a load of breathing space. And that's why I talk about when you see Portugal going up and they control the game. They're happy to go on the attack. And if they can't get down one of their flanks, they'll quite happily go back to the full back, go back to the centre half, go back to the goalkeeper, and just absolutely kill the game off. And play that possession based where they in in you know Serbia were in complete control, and I really thought they were just trying to showboat and get a fourth and get a fifth and get a sixth when they didn't need to because the game was done and dusted for them. Now there was real drama before kickoff in this game with Andre Anana left out of the Cameroon squad. An official statement saying that after a discussion with the head coach. Uh, he had insisted on a different style of goalkeeping, and Fabrizio Romano reported that uh, Rigobert Song wanted a more traditional style of goalkeeping. Uh, certainly when Cameroon were 3-1 down, it was looking like they missed Andre Anana quite a lot. But, Scotty, you've coached. Um, you no doubt have had players push back, and you've had to lay down your authority. Did Rigobert Song do the right thing here based on what's come out in the press? Um, probably yes, you know, in, in terms of... You know, he's a coach at the end of the day. He makes the decisions. Um, he's inside the camp. He'll know more than us. Um, so for me, it's, look, as, as a manager's union now, um, I look upon it in terms of you have to make those tough choices um, for the group and, and for yourself in terms of getting the results. And look, I, I think it probably was, albeit, albeit they missed him. Um, but for me, it's you live by the sword, you die by the sword as a manager. Um, and he certainly... Um, living by that at the moment 
in terms of the criticism that he may or may not have, have got for it as well. Yeah, again, but we're not in the in, in a camp. We haven't seen what has gone on, Scotty. But as coaches, and you know, you're still managing. Uh, there's nothing worse than being undermined uh, when you're, you know, you're you're getting questioned by your philosophy. You've got a team at the World Cup, so he's got every right. If that ha- if that is how it's um, unfolded, and there's been a heated discussion in front of the players, and he's undermined the manager. There's the right decision has been made. You cannot do that. He hasn't got his he hasn't got his pro diploma badge. He hasn't got his coaching, and if it was done in the wrong manner. Then he's got every right. Um, it, maybe it could have been handled better in, inside, but we, like I say, we, we're just hearing the what had gone on. If it if it is interpreted like that, I think the right decision was made, definitely. Now, before we throw to Mark Schwarzer for his thoughts on this topic, I wanted to put to both of you the various strengths of the confederations in this tournament. We've seen individual results like Japan beating Germany and Saudi Arabia beating Argentina. And then uh, on behalf of uh, CAF, the African Federation, Morocco beating Belgium, and then we'll get to Ghana beating South Korea. Is there a decline in South America, though? I mean, Argentina and Brazil came in as the clear top two favourites. Ecuador are holding their own and may well still go through, but they've got to take care of Senegal in order to do that. And, of course, one of the reasons that South America has one team fewer at this World Cup is because Australia beat Peru in the knockouts uh, to get there. So, Bridgie, is South America on a whole in decline or does the performance of Argentina and Brazil drag them up to still maintain their status as perhaps second strongest confederation behind Europe? I don't think that on a decline. I think the rest of the world or the other confederations have all upped their game and found different ways to compete and play um, against the South American teams. Argentina have started slowly, no doubt about it, but they, they came into the back of this off 36 unbeaten, uh, winning the Copa America. Like you, you can't say that they've they've been underestimated. Brazil, slow start, but what have they done? They've won both their games. They've found a way, and that is them not even ticking yet. So they are strong contenders. However, like the the other contingent, you know, Uruguay, and you've mentioned Ecuador. You don't know what you're going to get from Ecuador. Uruguay, me and Scott, you've said, very, very defensive. Teams have found a way. So I think um, I wouldn't say that they are still the elitist or the ones to be feared because there are so many other um, factors and teams now that we're seeing at the World Cup that can cause upsets. Uh, and why is that? Well, they've found a way to play. They've got different styles. Uh, changing for the uh, Japan game against Germany, I thought that it was a tactical stroke of genius. They went from a back four, they went to a back three and played wing backs, and Germany couldn't handle it. So they, I think the 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 coaching, the understanding, and um, the team dynamics from other regions um, and confederations have gone through the roof. All right, well, let's get Mark Schwartz's thoughts on this and go over to Schwartzy in Qatar. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, South America is as intimidating, if not even more intimidating, as they have been before. Look, Argentina coming into this World Cup were 35 games on the bounce without losing a game. Yes, they lost their opening game, and it was a massive shock to lose to Saudi Arabia. Probably the biggest shock at a World Cup ever, and that's a massive statement. When you look at Brazil, Brazil have been almost in cruise control. Um, Uruguay, of course, they're a side that have a rich history in the World Cup and and obviously haven't performed thus far to any expectation during their first game and currently, um, you know, finding it difficult against Portugal. So I think, you know, I, I, I think when you, Ecuador, another group, you know, I think they'll probably go through in, their, in, in Group A and deservedly so. Um, look, I think South America is still as big, as intimidating as they have ever been before. And of course, as always, led by Brazil. 
and at the moment a little bit behind Argentina, but that could change very, very quickly. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Gagan Pod. We've got former Socceroo Scott McDonald and former Premier League star Michael Bridges. We've still got a couple of games to look at from the World Cup overnight. Brazil, they were thrilling in their opening game against Serbia and they were the dominant side and got the job done 1-0 against Switzerland here. Scott, they didn't quite set the match on fire the way they did against Serbia and Vinicius Jr.'s disallowed goal was uh, pretty exciting, never mind the actual Mm. winner from Casemiro. Uh, What did you make of Brazil's performance as they go two from two and guarantee that they will be in the knockout stages? Look, job done. They're still, for me, it's almost like watching... The older Brazil, you know, they're still exciting to watch. Uh, technically, they're brilliant. The way they move the ball, they controlled that game from start to finish. You know, Switzerland never had a shot on target the whole game. So defensively, they're looking quite solid as well. Yes, they do miss Neymar. There's no question because when he plays, we know that the extra attention that that he gets um, and and what that does is obviously brings players towards him, which creates spaces for others. But what about the goal as well? Casemiro's strike. My God. You know, Brazil are doing Brazilian things at this tournament. You know, if you look at Richarlison's goal and you look at Casemiro's goal, the technical ability that they show, um, it's wonderful to see. It's wonderful to see Brazil doing that again because for the last couple of World Cup campaigns, you'd have to say that they haven't looked them normal selves. They, they've gone to a different style of play, a little bit more pragmatic. And you'd have to say Tite's, you know, uh, tactics at the start of the game was a little bit pragmatic in terms of the team that he picked Um but if you look at the changes that he made, I think that was the, the biggest difference. You know, bringing in Guimaraes, Anthony and Gabriel Jesus, I think that's when the game changed a little bit and opened up a little bit more. Um, and it's nice to have those options on the bench, isn't it? So, you know, man for man there, you know, across 26 players, they're looking very strong. I have to say the first 45 minutes of the game, there was only one game that was more boring than this game, and that was England against the USA. Because England it was just Harry Maguire passing to, Harry, uh, to Stones and then Stones passing back to Maguire. This first half, I didn't. It didn't excite us in the way that I was expecting Brazil to. And you've got to credit Switzerland mm. for that. They tried to stop them. They nullified them. They got them out of the rhythm. But like you say, Scotty, they they find a way, and that is the mm-hmm. scary part. They've they've got so many X factor players that can win them games. You saw Richarlison, Casemiro's done it this time. Um, Vinicius Junior is just he can beat anybody from a stand and start. So I think that looking at it, how slowly and they've stuttered, but they've got the maximum points. I'm worried. I, I, I had these to be the, the champions from the start of the competition. I think they're just going to gather momentum um, because they haven't they haven't been firing, but they've got six points. Well, Scott, you mentioned um, 
pragmatism and, and Brazil, you know, looking a bit more like the Brazil of old. But their defence is underrated. Allison hasn't had to make a save yet, and it's the first time that a team hasn't faced a shot on target in the first two games since France in 1998, and they went on to win it. So as much as we associate Brazil with Jogo Benito and entertaining football, is, is the reality here that they're just the best defensive team at the tournament as well? Well, you know what they say, Theo, don't they? The best form of defence is attack. Um, and, and I think that's the way they play on the front foot, and they control the game, they control the ball. So if you can control the ball, then the opposition can't score goals, can they? And I think that's what they're very good at, keeping the ball. Um, and obviously they have that fear factor as well, that teams are just dropping right off them. Um, Switzerland looked at the first game against Serbia, and like Bridgie said there, defensively they were very, very solid for a good period of time within the game, very disciplined. Shakiri obviously didn't start that game as well for Switzerland, uh, which, which told you the intent of the Swiss team right from the off. Um, but look, they've just got a little bit more X factor within their, like Bridgie said there, in their team now as well, but from an attacking perspective. The, the reliance isn't just solely on Neymar anymore. If you look back to the 2014 World Cup, then obviously that's all they had. But you've got Jesus, you've got you know, uh, Anthony, uh, Richarlison, uh, Rafinha now. There's Martinelli. just so many different different options for them. Yeah, Martinelli as well. Geez, oh, so. Do you know the yeah. other thing that you know the other thing that I think they're absolutely magic at, and so are Manchester City and Pep Guardiola. Every time the opposition get the ball and they're trying to attack, what they're doing on the halfway line, they they just absolutely do the the best little technical fouls I've ever seen. And then what does that do? That breaks a play up. What do you do? You get numbers back behind the ball, and then you've got to beat the ten players again. They are absolute geniuses. I, I mean, um, yeah, I, I was just watching the game tonight. The amount of fouls that they made against the Switzerland attackers when they were trying to counter was phenomenal. And it's a very, very clever gamesmanship that they do. And Pep, Pep and Manchester City do it so well, and yet they never seem to get yellow cards. Well, let's get Mark Schwartz's thoughts now on the Brazil team, starting with the balance between the attackers and how defensive the side is. Schwartz, expand on that for us. Yeah, of course, when you compare Brazil to, say, the Brazils in 2002 and <clears throat> the superstars of Brazil years gone by, I mean, the only real standout absolute superstar is Neymar. And we find him obviously injured and potentially missing um, <clears throat> two games of the group. Up front, Richarlison, Rafinha, Vinicius Jr. Are they household, ha- household names? Vinicius Jr., of course, playing for Real Madrid. Rafinha now at Barcelona. Um, they're getting there, but... I don't think they're classed as absolute superstars just quite yet. I mean, Vinicius Jr. is probably a good argument to say he he is up there. Um, In defence, though, they've got those robust stalwarts. Thiago Silva, Marquinhos, two no-nonsense defenders who have got an enormous amount of experience, but also uh, skillful enough to play in a Brazil side and have done for many, many years. And I think Brazil, at the moment, seem to have a really nice mix. Able to keep clean sheets, score goals, and it's two from two for them. So certainly beware because Brazil, even though they're not the big name Brazil as we're used to with all these massive superstars, they've still got some massive name. Casemiro midfield is a phenomenal player. And I think, you know, when you've got a player like him in your midfield, anything is possible. Richarlison scoring goals for Brazil, even though he didn't score today, but he is more than capable. Showed in the first game how good he can be. So beware. Mark Schwartz are there. All right, let's move on to the final game of the morning. Arguably the best of the games. Jibby had some good ones overnight. South Korea 2, Ghana 3. Ghana 2-0 up. South Korea come back. Crowd was fantastic for this as well. Uh, Just amazing celebrations on all five of the goals, really. 
And Bridgie, the man who put himself up in lights, was 22-year-old Mohamed Kudus, scored the second and third goals, the winning goal for Ghana in this game. What a moment for him on the world stage. Yes, if there's any way you want to shine, it's at a World Cup and what's he done. Like you said, he's playing for Ajax. He's also played for Ajax um, second team. He's he's scored goals. He plays, he, you know, he's an attacking midfielder, but he can play up top as well. So he's he's versatile. And what I what I really admired today is the way he managed to get himself as as strikers. Me and Scotty will will tell you you've got to try and get in between either two centre halves, so you've got to try and get in between the centre half and the fullback. And he, his anticipation for the crosses, the way that he he managed to get himself in between, and the the quality of the header. Was was great, but then the anticipation and the way he positioned himself for the second goal to give uh, to get Ghana that three-two win. Uh, just you know, you can just tell he's, he oozes class, and at such a young age, um, he's, he's shining at the World Cup for this team. And I'm delighted because I just I thought the crowd, like you've mentioned there, Teo, was spectacular. There was it, it when the when the fans of the Ghanaians celebrated, almost like you saw everybody having a heart attack. They were just they were it was amazing, and that they're so flamboyant. The colours are beautiful, and I just thought it was a very very fitting way for them to win that game. Yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, kudos to kudos. Oh God! I had to get that one in, but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, first Ghanaian to score a double at a World Cup. Could he be the next Asamoah Gyan, who obviously lit up you know the World Cup in I think it was was it two thousand and two thousand and ten South Africa? He scored. Wasn't it? He scored in six and ten, so he had he had two pretty good tournaments, and he scored yeah. in fourteen as well. He scored in three tournaments in a row. Yeah, he did. But uh, this boy looks the business, doesn't he? And I love it when we see you know from. Our perspective, the unknowns hit the height uh, of the World Cup and really set the stage alight and, and, and become, you know, top players that we, we look upon uh, going ahead. And he could certainly be one. And I love Ghana as well because they've come into the tournament and a lot of people said that probably they're the weakest African side to, to be in the World Cup itself for a lot of pundits. Um, but look, they've given themselves a great opportunity now to, to get through to the last 16 and look, I always like uh, the African story as well. And uh, you always want them to do well because we want to see them have success at a World Cup. They've, they've still failed to do that. Um, Ghana's probably reached the first. Cameroon had a great one in, in, ni- in 1990, wasn't it, um, as well. So, you know, it'd be a great story if they were to go a little bit further. And look, Morocco are doing well as well. But I think Ghana probably a big threat that you wouldn't want to play them because they're so unpredictable. The only thing I thought was disrespectful was the way after the game Ghana, there was one of the coaching staff went to console Son and just kind of put his arm around him but he had his he actually had his selfie stick in his camera there trying to get a selfie while Son was being humiliated. I thought it was absolutely bang out of order but very, very funny. Now, just on Kudus, uh, he's getting attention from some of Europe's top clubs including Liverpool who he scored against in the Champions League. He also scored in both games against Rangers and he scored the one when Napoli beat Ajax 6-1. So he's got four in six there. He's got five in the Dutch league. But Scotty, I wanted to ask you about his pathway because he was in the Right to Dream Academy in Ghana for six years from 2012 to 2018. Then he went to Nord Zealand and uh, after a couple of seasons at Nord Zealand in Denmark, he's gone to Ajax and now he's going to make that leap seemingly off the back of this World Cup and a huge price tag. Ajax are going to make themselves a nice little transfer fee, as you can imagine. But it, interesting there, he was from age 12, he was in the Right to Dream Academy in Ghana. And I know that this World Cup in Qatar, there's been so much said about the Aspire Academy and I, I guess how talent from third world or developing nations gets found and gets nurtured and, and then finds their way 
way to Europe. I mean, it's it's a it's not a unique story, but it is fascinating when we see players come through this sort of a pathway, and then now there's a, a, a bit more of a linear progression: Danish league, Dutch league, and maybe hey, Premier League. Yeah, uh, we sort of walking along the lines again of suggesting that we should have something similar over here in Australia. I think we are, uh, and I and if you are, then I fully agree with you. Um, but. Someone needs to put their hand in their pockets. The sports minister's been there. Why doesn't she help us out? You know, they keep saying they're helping us. So is James Johnson at the moment. But look, we need something more, more there for our young talents to come through. The the A leagues at the moment isn't doing enough for me in terms of the, the academy development. So, is it something we can do? I think so. Uh, however, the the pathway for obviously kudos is is a wonderful one, and it shows you that. Obviously, you've got to keep believing and you've got to keep driving. Um, and, and, and look, the way that the Africans have to go through the system, they have to go far and wide to actually achieve where they need to get to. It's very similar to our pathway um, because they haven't got the passport. So you have to go to these unfancied countries like Norway, Denmark, or, or of the likes before you can actually get to those Scotland. big leagues. Sorry. And, and he's done that. <laughs> That's where Scotland. they're all going. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you have, to, you, have to, you have to do that first and prove yourself, and he's certainly done that. Can I just can I just put it out there? I don't think Kudos would have had to pay two, or his family would have had to pay two thousand to three thousand um, dollars every year for him to, to be in that academy as well. Because I don't think I think he would have slipped through the net. To be honest with you, so that's a, that's still another massive issue um, that I've taken away from being in Australia um, with having my daughter at academies in at the Newcastle Jets and the Reggio fees for for all these kids. Um, I know Swartz did a fantastic piece and proposed the question across. Um, hopefully we do get some answers in the in the future because I, th- I still think that's a massive um, flaw in the Australian development because there's so many kids out there um, that parents can't afford to, to support that um, pathway. Bridgie, one question for you. What are you paying for your daughter now in terms of the football club that she's now uh, signed for over there? On minimal. She gets a, uh, what, what would it be, maybe what, £100, £100 and that includes your strip and everything. There you go. Okay, that's all I wanted to ask because I knew the answer. Just to finish on Kudus, looking at the graduates or the notable alumni from the Right to Dream Academy, most of the players are playing in you know Czech Republic, Scandinavia, Switzerland, many of them in second or lower divisions. Mohamed Kudus's transfer fee, if he does leave Ajax for Liverpool, is going to be more than every other player to come through that academy combined as well. So, Bridgie, a phenomenal piece of business. Based on what you've seen, is he ready for the Premier League at 22, even in January, or is he more of an off-season transfer given the price tag that might be attached? If it's, uh, I can't give him advice, but if it was my adv- advice to be saying, I think you're looking at the end of the season, finish off what you're doing at Ajax, get the whole season under your way, the last thing you want to do is join a team halfway through the season in Liverpool. Are you going to get game time? Or you just you know, it's going to be great to be part of that setup or with a Premier League club. But nah, get get the get the full season out of the way. Um, get yourself some time to settle down and do it doesn't want to be a rush transfer neither. You've got, you know, it's 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 gonna be a crazy period after the World Cup. Getting back to normality in the in the game, then the January window is just absolutely manic, um, and uh, yeah, it would be would would be a fantastic move in the summer. So you can you can you can decide where you're going to go. You can do it strategically, right? And as long as you've got the best advice and representation, I mean, if you if you want to take something like that, um, Erlen Haaland was looked after by his father, Alfie, who I played with. 
Um, they chose Dortmund because of the style of play that Dortmund would fit Alfie and look what's happened to him. He's gone to another team. So that instead of jumping at something, if you can get the, the right advice, that's something that's going to suit your game. Um, it, it, it can obviously set you up for the rest of your life for your playing style and your financial situation. All right, let's move on to some predictions for the final group games. Unfortunately for us in Australia, we lose both the 9pm and the midnight now. So it's it's back to night owls. It'll be a good warm-up for Premier League returning, I suppose. Uh, so we're, are we all assuming that the Netherlands take care of business against Qatar, turning Ecuador versus Senegal into a straight knockout where Ecuador goes through with a draw? Senegal would have to win. Uh, Bridgie, what's going to happen in Group A? I feel for Qatar. This could be a complete humiliation. Um, the Dutch have looked absolutely, you know, they've controlled most of their games possession-wise. They've scored goals. I feel for Qatar. This could be absolutely horrendous. Um, and then the other one, I'm just really looking forward to seeing seeing what happens. It's either team or enjoyable to watch. I can't call it, um, but I'm going to be glued to it. But uh, I can tell you, Qatar will get stuffed. I, I'm in agreement with you, uh, Bridgie. I think Netherlands will, will fully control this game. Depends on obviously the changes that they make, but there'll be some hungry players playing for that Netherlands squad, trying to obviously get a start in the next phase. Um, and I think Ecuador will get the job done as well against Senegal. I just think they might just have enough um, to get over the line, and that will be the two that qualify for the next phase. Well, the Dutch have every incentive to go for it because, of course, if Ecuador win, then it'll come down to goal difference for who tops the group. And uh, now let's look at Group B, Wales against England, Iran versus the USA. Wales just about out, um, but England, uh, they start the day top. Iran start the day second. If they beat the USA, they're through. Of course, if England get a draw against Wales, they will go through, but they'll want to top the group. So, Bridgie, how do you see Group B shaking out? Which two teams go through and who tops the group? Well, just like I said about Qatar, I really feel for Wales. They're going to get absolutely smashed. Um, so England will be <laughs> England will be going through on top. Um, Gareth Bale and the boys will be packing their bags and going home. And do you know what it is? I, I want. I would like to see the USA do it um, because Tyler, Tyler Adams and Aronson are both part of Leeds United, and I Aww. thought the way that they give it to England um, and showed them up and showed that they were, you know, they're a young fit young fit team that know how to press and win the ball back um, I think they'll they'll have too much for Iran so I'll say England top followed by USA second Iran and the, the Welsh will be going home rock bottom unfortunately Look Bridgie I know we've disagreed a lot this morning but I'm in agreement uh, with you on this one as well look I think England will have way too much for Wales uh, Wales for me have looked poor throughout this tournament and I think the way that England will move the ball they'll just have too much for them uh, and uh, this could be a decent scoreline for England as well. Not to the same of what Iran was, but um, you know, it'd be a convincing victory, I think. Anyhow, even though it's a, you know, battler Britain a little bit, and these games can get you know quite sticky at times. I still think England just with the quality that they have, they'll have too much. The other one that obviously that uh, the, the Iran American game, obviously there's this is a big game, not just on the pitch but off the pitch uh, for reasons gone by. Iran actually have beaten USA at a World Cup before. As we know, in I think that was in, in France, was it? France 98, I believe they beat them, um, if I go off the record books. So, tough game for, for the USA, this one. Can they get it done? I think they will, Bridgie. Um, and I've been very impressed by them as well, uh, particularly in that England game. And they come out with that energy and, and high-press Iran. I, I think uh, you know they'll get the job done on the night as well. And they've, they've got some young talent there that have really, really impressed me. That Musala, is it Musa, sorry? 
in the, in the midfield for for America. He's been excellent. For Musa me. and they've got Weir's son. Yeah, Weir's son, mate. anybody that yeah. anybody that's got George Weir's son in the team, I'm 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 gunning for them. Well, he was at Celtic as well. Previously, he was online from PSG, so I know a bit about him. He he, he was an excellent talent, um, and, and now he's proving to to be that. I think he's obviously in the French league still doing very well. Um, but yeah, he's very he's been very impressive in this World Cup as well. Yeah, so big thanks to Michael Bridges and Scott McDonald and also Mark Schwarzer over in Qatar as well. Don't forget, the Pod is daily during the World Cup, so make sure to hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate us five stars while you're there. If the World Cup isn't enough of a football fix, you can still catch the WSL, which is being played through the World Cup, live games and also highlights exclusive on Optus Sport. My name's Teo Pelizzeri and I'll be back with you tomorrow, so make sure you have hit subscribe to catch the daily drops. Thanks for listening to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This was The Gegen Pod. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.